Now, uh, we had graduation at Borkham Hills just on Friday. Now, the kids have just finished HSC. They, they're hoping that what happens with their results will be what they want to go and do what their parents want them to do, essentially. Essentially, at Borkham Hills High is, is where I got to go to the kids, and I say, so what do you guys want to do? Oh, I don't really know. Uh, what sort of ATA are you aiming for? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to. Then I changed the question. What do your parents want you to do? Oh, I want to be a doctor. I don't want to be an accountant. I'm going to do law and commerce and things like that. And so they're, they're 13 years of studying they are hoping will pay off in the end in enabling them to fulfill their parents' dreams. Well, just kidding. Their dreams. Because a few of the people, a few of the people are actually wanting to do what they want to do regardless. And I think that's really exciting. But it is really interesting regarding this whole aspect of hope because we have entered now into this Christmas season and as we look into this Christmas season it's very common for me to let's look at various passages in scripture that look at the birth of Jesus that look at what God has done for us that look at the whole idea of the greatest gift ever given that that classic card Jesus the reason for the season which just is repeated over and over and over again so instead what I wanted to do was look at the various aspects of what this message does and what that message means or what God has intended it for it to mean toward us. And this week we're going to look at a specific aspect, which is I call Christmas, the message of hope. The message of hope. Now you need to ask yourself a couple of questions. What is a message of hope? And secondly, why? Is the gospel a message that is so full of hope? I guess you could say a third one as well, is what then does it mean for us today? So I'm going to open it a word of prayer, and I'm going to answer, well, at least seek to address these two questions. And then prayerfully, we come to a greater appreciation of not only who God is, but also what God has done specifically for you. So if you're going to bow your heads, we'll open a word of prayer and we'll look at the scriptures together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the work that you were doing, for the way you were moving in Rouse Hill through Pastor Kevin and, and our sister Daisy and everybody there, and for the way you were working in Castle Hill and through our small congregation here to reach out to those around us for the way you've been ministering to each of our hearts and revealing more of yourself to us as we look into your word, as we look at creation, as we look at the relationships that you have blessed us with. And so now, Lord, I ask that you will minister to each of our hearts now, um, that you will help me to speak clearly, that you will be honored and glorified through the word that is shared. And more importantly, Lord, we would be conformed more to the image of your son. Please give us understanding and please give us your heart and your mind. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, question one. What is a message of hope? In the simplest of terms, a message of hope are the words, are the truths, are the promises that are made to improve or benefit a circumstance or a specific situation of an otherwise hopeless position. 
as convoluted as that sounds, let me explain. It's the longing for an improvement. It's the, it's the light at the end of the tunnel. It's the expectation that what was promised will be fulfilled. The word hope in the dictionary is defined in this way. That it's the feeling of, sorry, the feeling that what is wanted can be had or that events will turn out for the best. Example, I hope we win. I hope things work out. I hope I, hope I get the ATAR score that I, get, that, that, that I need. It's also used in a way to, to look forward to look forward to something with a specific desire or with a reasonable confidence. It is to believe, it is to trust. It's like me say, I hope this sermon makes sense. I hope the work that I do is, is satisfactory. It's also used in the sense of to feel that something desired might happen. Like, I hope that this rain will stop. I, but I also hope that it's not going to be like a typical Australian summer where it's like 48 degrees days. You know, I, I, that, there's that sort of hope. The one that I like in the dictionary is this. It's the archaic, meaning like it's the old man definition. It is to place trust or to rely, and it's always followed with the word in. And so from a Christian's perspective, it is to hope in God, our trust in Christ, our reliance in the Holy Spirit. Some basic examples. It is the promise of a financial assistance to help you overcome a financial hardship. Um, I heard the testimony of a man who had a, a great debt for the ministry that he needed to pay, some bills he needed to pay. He got a phone call. He went to the office, took the phone call, and a gentleman said to him, um, excuse me, sir, is this such and such from this ministry? Yes. He said, I just want to know, I want to give you a monetary gift, a check for this amount. And it was the amount of the thousands that was needed to cover this bill. Now, the brother walked out, he jumped up and said, woohoo, and he said, stop there. What did I have exactly? I didn't have money, I didn't have the check, I had this man's word. And that was it. But it was the hope that was met and was actually fulfilled once he received that check. And so that expression of trust, of reliance, of faith, demonstrated itself or expressed itself in the physical exertion of jumping up and yelling woohoo. And I thought, okay, that's really interesting. It's the word, it's the word that the medicine you received would improve at worst or at best, completely heal the particular condition that you have. There's that sort of hope there. It's the hope or the message that the promotion you applied for will be yours from the CEO. Those are sort of the aspects of what hope can be and how it can be demonstrated. Hope is the initial desire that can grow into faith and trust, provided that the source from which the message comes from is faithful and trustworthy. Does that make sense? So it's all about, okay, when somebody says something, if what they say comes from a source that is faithful and trustworthy, therefore that gives substance to my hope. If a message of hope is stated by one who, for example, cannot lie, if the message of hope is stated by someone who keeps his promises, if the message is stated by somebody who has the ability to bring them about, then as I said, it gives substance and it steals and gives strength to my reliance and my belief in that message. 
Now, I read in the scriptures the following about God the Father. I read that he is the one who cannot lie, according to Titus 1-2, that the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not, in the New King James and the King James Bible, it says, who cannot lie, promised before the beginning of time. We, the Bible tells me about the, the one who keeps his promises. In Luke chapter 1, the second half of verse 45, when Elizabeth is talking to Mary, we read, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. The message of hope that comes from one who has the ability to bring them about. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, and I encourage you to memorize this verse. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. So, when he gives his message of hope, then it would be wise. This God who cannot lie, this God who keeps his promises, this God who has the ability to see these things through, when he gives his message of hope, then it would be wise for us to take heed of the message he gives. Because the necessity, now I have this lot of, okay, I have a lot of these convoluted thoughts and prayerfully I make sense. The necessity of hope's presence, for hope to be present, implies that there is a dire need on my part that needs to be addressed. That there's a dire, a dire need that I am in that needs me to be delivered from, that I receive the benefit from. The necessity of hope's presence implies that I need help. Does that make sense? Okay, thank you so much. All right. Because here's what's really exciting. That as you read through the scriptures, you see the scriptures peppered with, peppered, you know, pepper, when you pepper, it is just peppered with words of hope all throughout. Words to encourage the downtrodden heart. Words to lift up and comfort the crushed soul. Words to uplift the downcast eyes. And as we look at the world today, what do we see? We see a world full of fear. We see a world full of discontentment. We see a world full of tension. We see a world full of frustration. Therefore, a world that is desperately in need of hope. That's what we see around us. And the biblical message of hope can only make sense if we understand this message of hope in the greater context of God's dealing with humanity, specifically of God's dealing with us. Now, you may have heard this before. You might hear, I repeat myself from a broken record that goes over. It's actually quite funny nowadays because now with young people, they don't understand the term broken record, do they? A broken record that if a scratch, it just goes over and over and over again. Uh, what would be the equivalent? Uh, on a, a glitch in your... M I, see, I can't even say MP3 because that's so old too. But it's like... Pardon? Spotify, yeah. Spotify is down maybe, yeah. Okay. Okay, but we read in Genesis how God created. God created the heavens and the earth. That God made everything and everything was good. We read how that all he made was made for the provision of the apex of his creation. Who's that? That's humanity. 
Adam and Eve, everything he made in, in, the, six days of, in the first six days of creation, and he made man last because he was given it for them to rule over, for them to have authority over. And we are told that when Adam and Eve were created, that it was, from God's perspective, very good. Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. They were in perfect relationship with each other. They were in perfect relationship with creation. They were in perfect relationship with their creator. That's what everything was. Now, we read in Genesis chapter 3, what? That man stuffed it up. That man broke it. That man was given the option to go God's way or go his own way, and he chose his own way. He fell for the lie given by the serpent that said, you can be like God, and you can determine what, what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. You can determine that for yourself. You don't need God. You can do that for yourself. And man fell for it. And with the brokenness, because man fell for that, because man disobeyed God, there was this brokenness of that fellowship. This wall of sin came up that separated a loving heavenly father to a rebellious man. And now we see the consequences of that. Literally, literally, paradise was lost when Adam made that choice. But it is here we are given this first sprinkling of hope. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God says to the serpent with Adam and Eve, right there, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That is the first reference to a deliverer, the first reference, the first promise, the first message of hope for Adam and Eve that is heard right there. Now I want you to think about this. Have you ever been in an argument with your spouse? Raise your hand if you have. All right, we're going to have a marriage weekend coming up soon. Okay, but we're going to have, okay, so if, if you have, have you ever noticed when you have a falling out with your spouse, just how there is tension in that relationship? And I, I know for many guys, when something is wrong and you don't know what's wrong and every guy is, is scrolling through the list of things that they've done within the past 24 hours that could have upset her, and realize it wasn't even 24 hours ago, but like seven days ago, that it was something that may, have, that may have upset her. Okay, well, that's not my wife. My wife's amazing. Okay, but, <laughs> but anyway, anyway, beside the point. But here's the thing. There's this, this broken tension. You know something is wrong. And you know that, and, the, and because there's this tension there, you wonder, okay, how do I deal with this? Now, Adam and Eve, who had perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with each other, perfect relation to, uh, relationship to creation, right now, have now realized that they have lost something. They have lost something. They have lost the intimacy with their God. They have lost the friendship with their God. They have lost being in his presence. We are, we are told in, in Genesis 3, I think it's in verse 8, that God came down into the garden in the cool of the day, which apparently is, was a common thing, that he could, he could spend time with him. That was now gone, and they know it's gone. So to hear that this word, of speaking of the breaking of the serpent's hold on them, what is that? That is a message of hope. You look at Genesis chapter 12, verses, I think it's two and three. You read about Abraham and how that God will make Abraham's name great and that God will bless Abraham and that Abraham will be a blessing to those who bless him and whoever curses him 
well, God will curse them. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through Abraham and his descendants. Once again, that is a picture, that is a promise, that is a word of hope to the future coming of a Messiah, of a deliverer who will rescue them, rescue him, rescue us from the state that they're in. It is a message of hope. You read in in Moses, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, when it's talking about that prophet that is raised up from among Israel, It is a message of hope that meets a needy people, that meets them where they're at, that says to them, you are not forgotten, you are not forsaken, you are not cast off. What is that? That is a message of hope. Even though, even though humanity in the 21st century seems to exemplify the forgetting of their creator, seems to exemplify the forsaking of their God, that seems to exemplify the casting off of his invitation to relationship. He reaches out to them as the God of hope wants to show humanity in all our defiance, in all our rebellion, in all of our sin, he wants to show them hope, the light at the end of the tunnel. Now you might ask, how does humanity do this? How do people express this way? And you look at this, in Psalm 53 verse one, you have the denial of God's very existence. It says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. There is that willful choice to say God does not exist. God is not real. Irrespective, I remember talking with one young man and he's saying, I don't believe God exists. I said, that's fine, but what you believe has nothing to do with the reality. I don't believe the sun will rise the next morning, but what I believe about that doesn't change the reality. I don't believe I'll get hit by a car if I walk out in the middle of the road, but what I believe doesn't change the reality. I remember a young fella as well. His name was Vlad. He was Vlad. He was a Ukrainian, Ukrainian boy. He was a nice, nice kid. But I remember him telling me one time, but what if I believe really hard, Joe? What if I believe really hard something? Does that make it true? What you believe doesn't make something true. Irrespective of that. You could believe as much as you like that you could fly and you could jump off the top of a building. I guarantee you this, you're not going to fly. No matter how much you believe. What you believe doesn't change the truth. uh, If you remember Alex Stark, I think Alex Stark said one thing which I thought was really interesting. Um, Truth is discovered. Truth is uncovered, not created by what you believe. So the fool says in the heart, there is no God. What you believe doesn't change the reality. So you have the denial of God's existence. You have, how else do they do it? The replacement of God with other things. Romans chapter 1 verses 22 and 23 says this, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Verse 23, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human, be, a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Have you ever noticed how we, and Martin Luther said this, man cannot exist in a, in a vacuum. Man cannot exist in a vacuum. We must always find something to replace something else. If you've ever had an addiction of some sort, I'm not talking about you know, all the hard stuff, you know, I'm not talking about drugs or anything like that, but if you've been a smoker, if you've been a smoker, what happens when you stop smoking? You usually start eating. Once you stop one thing, you usually find something else to replace it with. 
So when you have this vacuum within your very being that can only be met and fulfilled by the very nature and person of God, then you find something else to fill it. And if you look at the 21st century today, what do we do? We look at our sports heroes. We look at our musicians. We look at our TikTok celebrities, those TikToking things. I don't, I'm just such an, I'm such a boomer. I don't, I don't understand that at all. Okay, but you have all of these things, people, their, their Instagram followers, yeah, and, and people are looking for their value or, or placing on a pedestal all these people. Now, please, I mean, no disrespect to them, I need, but this, that is just replacing one God with another. That's it. And it may not even be a celebrity. It may be your job. It may be the person that, that you're in love with. It may be the career that you have, it, it, whatever it might be. We always find something because you have to, it's our nature. We find something to worship. We create something to worship. And the thing is, we'll always be looking for something else to worship if it's not actually met and satisfied. That need for worship is not satisfied by him who is inexhaustible, him who is inexpressible, him who is the creator of the universe. That's the only way we can reach satisfaction that we can reach contentment. That's why. So it's the replacement of God with other things. Another way that this is done is the willful ignorance of the human heart. The willful ignorance of the human heart. There's being ignorant, then there's being willfully ignorant. John chapter three, verse 19 says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of the light because their deeds are evil. The definition of an irrational faith the definition of an irrational faith is that when you are given evidences contrary that prove everything you believe is wrong, that you continue to believe it anyway. That's being irrational. This is being irrational here. Light appeared to the world, you had the choice of having light or darkness. You think the light, too bright, and you dwell in darkness. Why? Because in darkness, you can do a lot more and get away with it. That's what it is. These are but three of the, the myriad number of condemnations that humanity, including myself, fall under. I remember sharing these truths with a guy at work years ago, and I said to him how we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that there is none righteous, no, not one, that we all deserving of death and judgment because of our offenses against God. I remember sharing this with this guy, and, and he says to me, then what's the point? What's the point? If all of us are condemned before God, what's the point? Well, that's why the word of God is peppered with messages of hope. You see, we can complain about the harshness of the scriptures. And this is not me calling people fools. This is not me making fun of people. I, I'm what I've seen that way. It's not me. Make, I'm sharing with you what God says in his word. And you might sit and get upset. In fact, Dad, you shouldn't condemn people, Joe. I'm not condemning people. The Bible already teaches that you're condemned already. John chapter three, verse 18. When something is condemned, what does it mean? It means it is doomed for destruction. A condemned building is doomed for destruction. When we are born into this life, we are born in our trespasses and sins. You know what that means? That means we're condemned already. I hadn't started off being in this great state of perfection, and that as I got older, I slowly deteriorated and lost all my hair and put on more weight and all the bones creaked. I, I didn't start off in a perfect state and slowly get worse morally and spiritually and physically. No, when I was born, I was already spiritually corrupt because I was full of sin. I was already in that state. And what God does in his message of hope says, I can bring you deliverance from that. 
I can bring you restoration from that. I can bring you reconciliation from that. I can bring you new life from death. Uh, one of the great quotes, of, I've quoted it a number of times, and I know, broken record, or the Spotify is on the fritz, whatever it is. Jesus Christ did not come into the world to make bad people good. He came into the world to make dead people alive. That's why he came. That's why he came. And that's why the Christmas message is so full of hope. If the message of hope is light at the end of the tunnel, if the message of hope is giving us some sort of desire to say, this is what I have in store for me, as even though I am stuck in the situation I am, why is the Christmas message full of hope? Because of the birth, sorry, because the birth of Jesus Christ represents the next steps in bringing all of these messages of hope to fruition, to fulfillment. That's why the Christmas message is so exciting. We see this message of hope revealed by faith through Isaiah. When we read in, in, in Isaiah 7:14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. That is a message of hope that is fulfilled in the birth of Christ at Bethlehem. We see the role he plays in, in the redemption of mankind. We read in Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And that is his role that this child who was born unto us brings, as well as his ministry that gives our hope strength and substance. In Luke chapter three, verses 18 to 19, Jesus is reading the scriptures from Isaiah, in fact, and says this, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's Luke three eighteen and 19. And these are all spiritual states that we find ourselves in now needing to be delivered from that can only come through Jesus Christ. This is what makes Christmas so exciting for me because hope is now given substance. Hope is now fulfilled. Hope is the reality because spiritually, as prisoners, we are bound by our own lust. I'm not from a Christian home. And even as a Christian, I can fall susceptible to these things. But I've been delivered from these things through Christ. It's why he came. That hope could be made real. As prisoners bound by our own lusts, captive to our own desires or goals, and that prevent us from experiencing the freedom of sin's hold that is offered in Jesus Christ. As the blind, we are unable to see the damage of the things that we do around us, or we refuse to see the hand of a loving God that reaches out to us, the compassion of a heart that says that he loves you. 
the, 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 have you ever noticed, have you ever noticed when people are so upset, when people are so upset, and I have done this, people are so upset, and you complain about everything that's wrong, and you forget all the good things that your spouse has done for you, forget all the good things that your kids have done for you, forget all the good things that your friends have provided for you, and all you're concentrating on is, ah, I don't like you, they don't like me. Have you ever noticed how we do that? And we do this with the Lord. We get blinded spiritually. The enemy blinds our eyes not to see the greatness of his love toward us in Jesus Christ. Even as oppressed that we allow, we allow the weights of our own self-righteousness, the weights of our own success, the weights of our own self-deprecating attitudes to be set free. We, 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 we focus on ourselves all the time and not understand that we, this is why the heart is so deceitful and desperately wicked. We fool ourselves that everything is okay. We say to ourselves, yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. When you're not, at least not biblically, at least not before God. You see, for Israel, their hope was for deliverance from Roman rule. Their hope in the Messiah was that they would be free from Roman oppression. But Jesus didn't come to free them from Roman oppression. He came to free them from sin's hold and from Satan's rule. He came to deal not only for Israel's sin, but for humanity's sin. And when I say humanity's sin, that means your sin. That means my sin, and to free us from that, from sin's power, from sin's penalty, ultimately from sin's presence, because we, because we, for all that we can do, we, for all the efforts that we put in place, we can do nothing to change our sinful nature. We can do nothing to change who we are as people. We can't. I mean, we can change a behavior, it's like that, it's like that, classic, um, that classic line, I'm not being disrespectful. I remember, once again, it, it might sound a bit mean now, but there were year eight students at the time. But I remember when this year eight boy was making fun of this, this girl, making fun of her height. She was really short. And she was, she was really short. But she was only year seven. And I says to him, I says to him, bro, he wasn't my bro, but I says, bro, you do realize she's gonna get, she's gonna get taller because she'll grow. You'll always be a jerk. Why? Because it was an attitude of heart. What comes out of the mouth reveals what's in the heart. And because what came out of him was that of bullying, that of meanness, that of anger, that of hurt, I was like, that's, that's a heart that's in need of change. Yeah, yeah, she'll get taller, but you're a jerk. And I mean, yeah, that wasn't good. I mean, look, I'm a big guy making fun of a year eight kid, but... But he learnt. When he graduated in year 12, he reminded me of what I said to him. And I said to him, you're not a jerk anymore, bro. Well, not as much. But anyway. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. What we can do is limited. We might change outward appearance, but it has nothing to change our hearts. This is why we are still in darkness. This is why we are still in need of a saviour. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Psalm 33. Because I love, I love this passage. Psalm 33, starting from verse 16 and 17. We read this. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. A king 
No, sorry, no king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance despite all its great strength. It cannot save. Whatever your army is, whatever the army is in your life that you rely on, it might be your relationships with your family. It might be your friends and how they view you. You know, I bumped into a guy yesterday named Sam. I was going to the gym, and Faith and I were going to the gym, and I had Sam and his kids, and he goes, he says to my daughter, and he goes, and look, I'm not, I'm not tooting my own horn or nothing, but he goes, he goes, Joe, I said, Sam, how you going? You know, having a good chat. And then he goes, oh, this is my daughter, Faith, and, you know, introduced, and then he introduced me to his kids. And then he says to Faith, your dad is a legend. He's just an amazing man. Like, I've known him, and he's just, he's just speaking all these wonderful things. I'm like, yes, yes, I am. Now, you know what I mean? It's just, you're hearing all this stuff. And I thought, well, it's really nice, but it doesn't matter what people think of me. What people think of me doesn't change my sinful state before a holy God. How people view me doesn't change and get rid of my sin, which condemns me to death. So whatever your standing is among your peers, whatever your standing is in your family, whatever your standing is in your job, you might be a CEO of a business, you might be a pastor of a church, you might be a high-standing politician in the community. Your reputation and your resources, your army does nothing to save you from sin and its condemnation. Nothing. So you think about whatever your army is. If it's not Jesus Christ, then you are trusting in a vain hope. You carry on reading. It doesn't matter how strong you are. The warrior that might help you. It doesn't matter how strong you are. It doesn't matter how well you can use your fists. It doesn't matter how much you can bench. It doesn't matter how far you can run. It doesn't matter how fast you can run. It doesn't matter how, how long you can cook, kick a ball or anything like that. Your physical attributes can do nothing to escape God's judgment for your sin. It does nothing to change your nature. So what if you can bench 125 kilos? It's, it, I, I remember, I shared this with some brothers and sister. When my daughter was in hospital in ICU that time, I, like, there was that, I, was, I was exercising really, I was, I was strong, I was strong. You know how much my strength could do to heal my daughter? Nothing. I've never felt so helpless in all my life. Well, I'm standing there, and I have a car to get her to places if I need to. If she needed something picked up, I could pick her up. If I could do something else, I could physically, but there was nothing I could do to heal her except to pray. Where I got down on my knees and I asked God, please save my daughter. Please heal her. And we see the miracle of my daughter even now as a testament of God's grace and of God's provision and of God's goodness. So, is it your strength as a warrior that you trust in? Because I tell you what, if it's in that instead of in Jesus Christ, then it's a vain hope. You look at the third one. Whatever your horse is, Whatever your horse is, the ideas that you might have, your ideologies of, of, of how God is supposed to move, whatever you consider, what, you know, whatever you consider, whatever you fear, whatever you choose to fear, whatever, all these ideologies, all these thoughts, all these practices that you might have set in place that you rely on for all its apparent strength that you think it'll get you through, I can tell you this now, it'll do nothing to change your sinful heart before a holy God. 
Nothing, nothing that these two verses say, nothing can transform a heart. Nothing can cleanse a soul from the tainting of sin's presence. Nothing except the person of Jesus Christ. This is why the Christmas message is a message of hope. To deliver me from my selfishness, to deliver me from my lusts, to deliver me from my self-centeredness and my, my own self-religious attitudes, to deliver me from those things. Now, do you need God to be a good person? No, I know a lot of people who are not Christians who are very good people. I know a lot of Christians who are not very good people. Okay, I'm not saying that, but what I do say is this, and I remember a dude named Alex asked me this, he says, why Christ? Of all the religions of the world, why Christ? And I says, because Christ is the only one that can take a, a broken heart like mine and make it whole. That's why. Sure, other religions might offer standards of morality, other religions might offer different things, okay, to help you live a successful life, but only Christ can change my heart. Only Christ can take me from darkness and bring me into light. Only Christ can make me his child. So, Christmas reminds me of when God himself, who set in motion his plan for mankind's redemption and their rest restoration. In other words, when it was hope given to Adam and Eve, it was continually nurtured and continually encouraged and continually watered all throughout the scriptures from the books of Moses to the songs, to the prophets, to the, to the apostles and to their letters. All of these words given are there to nurture. When I say hope nurtured, and then when we look at Christmas, when we look at God sending his son and we celebrate it in this season, that is where we see hope fulfilled. Because if you carry on reading in Psalm 33, I want to close with this. We read this in verse 18, that the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord, for he is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. This is Christmas. This is the message of hope that we can look at with confidence and pray that our hope will strengthen and become a greater faith. And in that faith would increase our trust in our Heavenly Father, who is the God of hope. So with that, I encourage you, I encourage you to go spend time in the Scriptures and look at hope fulfilled in your life as you look at what God gave you in His Son, Jesus Christ. So with that, just like to bow your heads, I'll close in a word of prayer and then we'll call it for this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we are humbled that you in your grace, you in your majesty, you in all your glory would consider us worthwhile of your time, worthwhile of your love, worthwhile of your goodness. We thank you for the promises of hope that you have given us throughout the scriptures and that even in our darkness, even in our rebellion, even in our defiance, you continue to reach out to us and to show us the way out. We thank you that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. 
We thank you that through him, we can enter your presence. We thank you that through him, we can see your majesty. We thank you that through him, you will hear our prayers. So we ask for you now to dismiss us and pray that you will stir within each of our hearts a greater appreciation of what you have given us in your son. Father, we wait in hope for you. You are our help. You are our shield. And in you, our hearts rejoice. For we trust in your holy name. And it is in your holy name, Jesus Christ, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.